ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله ذلك the praise belongs to Allah we praise him seek his assistance and forgiveness and we seek refuge in Allah from the evil of ourselves and the evil consequences of our deeds whoever Allah guides there is no one that can lead him astray and whoever Allah leads astray there is no one that can guide him i bear witness that nothing deserves to be worshiped except Allah alone and that he has no partners or associates and i bear witness that muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam is his slave servant and his messenger uh, we'd like to continue this afternoon bismillahi ta'ala with the review of our studies uh, dealing with mustalah al-hadith from the book al-ma'rifa fi ulum al-hadith on introduction to the science of hadith by Sheikh Suhaib Hassan Abdul Ghaffar Hafidhullah, may Allah protect and preserve him and in this review inshallah I hope that we will complete the remaining points that we discussed in the last three lectures 10, 11 and 12 dealing with the classifications of hadith according to the reliability and memory of the reporters and that includes the sahih the hasan and the subcategories sahih li ghayrihi and hasan li ghayrihi as well as al-daif and the topic of al-mawdu'a or fabricated hadith which as we mentioned on a number of occasions some of the scholars concluded it under the classifications of hadith and some said that al-mawdu'a is not a hadith since it's really a fabrication a lie against the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam in any case the first category under the classification of hadith according to the reliability and memory of the reporters is the hadith as-sahih al-hadith as-sahih the authentic hadith and here concerning this the classifications of sahih and hasan and daif It is important to note that ultimately ultimately these are the primary categories of importance in terms of recognizing whether or not a hadith should be acted upon in terms of matters of worship or transactions between the people business marriage and so on and as well whether or not we would accept the information that came to us by way of hadith of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam related to matters of aqeedah or belief and if the hadith is classified as sahih hasan and we would act upon it and we would base our beliefs on that hadith while if the hadith is classified as daif weak or mawdu'a then it would be rejected we would not act upon it nor would we make a determination of that which is halal or haram nor would we base our beliefs on the information that has been transmitted by the hadith which is classified as daif so the first category is sahih as sahih linguistically it means the opposite of sick it means defective uh, the opposite of sick or defective it means that which is healthy or sound and linguistically as sahih if you refer to a person as sahih it means that that person is healthy or of sound mind etc it is the opposite of sick or defective technically as sahih contains five points of importance that are essential that we remember them because each one of these points of the conditions for hadith sahih have to be fulfilled if any one of them is missing then the hadith wouldn't be considered as sahih technically as sahih means that which has been reported with number 1 a connected chain of narrators yani ittisal as sanad 
a connected chain of narratives. That means there's no break in the chain, there's no one missing. And those narrators, from the beginning of the chain until the end, should be known to be trustworthy of good character. This is Adl. And accurate or precise in their memory. Babit. So that the chain should be complete with narrators who are described with these two characteristics trustworthiness or good character and accuracy or precision in memory or in transmitting that which they have heard. Likewise, the following two conditions are applicable to or conditions of the Hadith Sahih that they should not be contradicting. That means that which is reported should not be contradicting or in opposition or in difference with those who are more reliable. And if the hadith that is reported with a complete chain of narrators who are both trustworthy and accurate in reporting, but they contradict in what they report, someone who is more reliable, then that hadith would be classified as shad. And it fulfills the other conditions, but it has a contradiction. Therefore, those who are less reliable, we normally accept their hadith, the hadith would be rejected as sharaf. And the fifth condition, the absence of this contradiction, the fifth condition is uh, after the, the sharaf or shurud, the, fifth, the last condition is that it should be free of any hidden defect. And even if the hadith has a hidden defect, but that doesn't affect the authenticity, this is not applicable here. But we are talking about the illa, which is qadiha, which has some bearing on the reliability or acceptability of that hadith. If there is a hidden defect which would cause us to reject the authenticity of the hadith, this is the illa or the hidden defect that we are referring to here. That which affects the authenticity of the hadith, though though the hadith appears to be free of any defect. Yani, on surface examination of the hadith, you wouldn't normally detect that defect. But the scholars after careful research uh, perhaps might discover a hidden defect and if that hidden defect affects the authenticity of the hadith then the hadith will be rejected for this reason. Um, so these five conditions connected chain through narrators who are of good character and accurate memory there shouldn't be any contradiction of those who are more reliable and there shouldn't be any hidden defect if all five of these all of them are found, the hadith will be considered as sahih. And then we mentioned يعني, some points uh, related to the, these conditions and the important point is that number three, the following are the qualifications of a reporter who is trustworthy or of good character. يعني, when we said that the narrator should be adil and babit, trustworthy and of accurate or precise memory as far as trustworthiness, al-adl, and above or accuracy, what does it mean? We said in the notes here that al-adl, or trustworthiness or good character, it means the qualifications or the characteristics of a reporter who is considered adl are number one, that they are Muslim. Number two, of the age of maturity, balid. Number three, they should be sane, of sound mind, aqil. And number four, they should not be a fasted, a person of immoral character or a sinner. And number five, they shouldn't be of those who have who possess blameworthy manners or behavior, makhroom al-maru'ah. So the reporter who is adil has to also include these characteristics. Muslim, of the age of maturity, saying not being an immoral person or person who has blameworthy behavior or manners that are contradictory to that which is acceptable in the society. And as for Dab, the narrator who is Dabit, accurate or precise in his memory, it means it includes two categories. A, those who memorize and retain what they have heard verbatim, and exactly as they heard it, until they report it to others just as they heard it. And it also includes those who accurately write down what they have heard and protect their records from any distortion 
until they narrate from their books exactly as it was recorded. So that accuracy and memory it includes those who memorize and report exactly as they have heard it, as well as those who wrote down what they heard and protected their written records until they passed it on to others. Both of these are acceptable under the category of Babit or above accuracy and reporting, and the hadith of each of these two categories would be accepted as under Sahih. So we're saying the Sahih hadith has five conditions, and as well from one of those conditions, the trustworthy character and accuracy of memory also has definitions. Trustworthy of character means a Muslim who's of the age of maturity, who's sane, who's not an immoral person, nor blameworthy character. And accuracy in memory is of two types. Accuracy in memorizing something and accuracy in recording or writing down and preserving what has been written. The ruling or the hukum concerning the hadith sahih is that it is obligatory to act upon it according to the consensus of the scholars of hadith and according to all of those whose word is counted or considered from the scholars of usul and fiqh. It is a proof in the sharia and it is not permissible for anyone to leave off acting upon it. Yani, the first thing concerning the ruling of the hadith sahih is that it is obligatory for us to act upon it, to accept it and to act in accordance with it. And number two, this is based on the fact that the reason why it's obligatory to act on it because the hadith sahih is a proof in the sharia. It is a proof, it is considered as a proof, a legitimate acceptable proof which must be accepted and acted upon and it's not permissible for somebody to say that they will not accept it or they will not act upon it once it has been proven to be sahih. Of course with the exception of the case for example the hadith sahih which is abrogated and by a hadith that came later a ruling that's abrogated by a later ruling that's another an exception but in general the hadith which is sahih you have no option except to accept it and act upon it the next category is hadith hasan linguistically it means good, handsome or beautiful and technically it is that which fulfills the five conditions of the hadith sahih any complete chain from reliable, uh, trustworthy narrators who are accurate in reporting, not being contradictory to those who are more reliable, and not having any hidden defects. The exception or the difference between the Hadith Hassan and Hadith Sahih is in reference to the dhabd, the accuracy or precision in recording. The accuracy or precision of, of one or more of its narrators is of a lesser standard than the narratives of a Sahih Hadith. This is the definition of Al-Hafid ibn Hajj al-Asqalani. Rahimahullah wa other scholars give various other definitions. So here, the important point here is that the definition for Hassan is almost the same as Sahih, except that the accuracy or precision of the narratives, one or more of the narratives in the chain, is less than, is of a lesser standard than those of the Hadith Sahih. Otherwise, other conditions are the same. The ruling concerning the Hadith Hassan is the same as Sahih, except that it is less than the Sahih in strength. And for this reason all of the scholars of fiqh use it as a proof. And the Hadith Hassan is used by the scholars of fiqh as a proof and they acted upon it. Likewise, the overwhelming majority of the scholars of Hadith and Usul use it as a proof. In fact, some of the more lenient scholars such as Imam al-Hakim and Ibn Hibban ibn Khuzayma rahimahumullah even included it in the class of Sahih yani sometimes Imam ibn Khuzayma and Imam ibn Hibban and Imam al-Hakim in their books in the Sahih of ibn Khuzayma ibn Hibban and the Mustadak al-Hakim sometimes they even included the Hadith Hassan under the category of Sahih and that's why they included in their book books which are supposed to be only including the Hadith Sahih. Uh, also, the subdivisions of Sahih and Hassan are two. The Sahih and the Hassan, and we said that the Sahih is of two types the Sahih, that which is Sahih or authentic independently, in and of itself, without any supporting narrations. And likewise, the Hassan. Lidatihi is the hadith which is Hassan independently uh, without any supporting narration. So just as there is the Sahih Lidatihi independently Sahih, 
There's also the Sahih لِغَيْرِهِ That which is Sahih due to being raised up from يعني, the strength that is derived from other supporting narrations. This is a hadith which is Hassan on its own merit. The Sahih لِغَيْرِهِ is a hadith which is originally Hassan on its own merit. يعني, some of its reporters, one or more of them, their accuracy in reporting is less than the standard of the narratives of Sahih. So that hadith is classified as Hassan. Hassan Lidatihi. Then if it is reported by another chain of narratives similar to it in strength or stronger, which supports it and it raises up to the level of Sahih. And because it came from another chain which eliminates any doubt that we may have due to the lesser standard of accuracy of one or more of its reporters, when it came through another chain, then we became more confident in the accuracy of what he has reported and therefore we classify it as Sahih لِغَيْرِهِ and being raised up or supported due to other supporting evidences. It is higher than the hadith which is Hassan لِذَاتِهِ but lower than the hadith which is Sahih لِذَاتِهِ That means the hadith which is Sahih لِغَيْرِهِ it is not equal to the hadith which is Sahih by itself because it only is raised up to Sahih because of supporting evidences where the other one Sahih which is Sahih by itself it, it's, its narrators are very very strong in their accuracy and precision in reporting while this one is a little lesser standard but we raise it up to Sahih because it's supported by others so it's not equal to the Sahih that is Sahih by itself Sahih Lidatihi while at the same time it's higher or stronger than the Hassan Hassan Lidatihi because it is originally Hassan Lidatihi then it's supported or strengthened further by other narrations which makes it go up to a higher level than the one which is Hassan by itself without supporting narrations. The important thing here is that the Sahih لغيره, uh it is an acceptable hadith, it's used as a proof in the deen and it's يعني, being strengthened or raised up to Sahih it is important to us when there are two proofs in an issue that there is difference about and we want to see which one is stronger. If there is a hadith which is Hassan, لذاته, by itself, and there is another one which has supporting narrations which raises up to Sahih, then that one becomes stronger and therefore it would be given preference over the one which doesn't have other supporting narrations. Also Hassan لغيره, is raised up to Hassan due to support from other narrations. This is the hadith which is originally Da'if, Hassan لغيره, Hassan لغيره, which is supported by other narrations, is originally a hadith that has a minor defect or some small weakness in the reporters or breaking the chain or something, which is a minor defect, and then due to supporting narrations, which eliminate the doubt which is caused due to that minor defect, it is raised up to the level of Hassan, due to supporting evidences, Hassan لغيره. Uh, and this, supporting evidences are of two types, those which uh, narrators reporting the same metin, the text, literally or in meaning. Literally or in meaning. If it reports the exact same wording, literally, then normally this is called mutaba'a, yani another narration which reports the exact same wording. And if it is reported in different wording but the same meaning, then this is normally called shahid. Shahid. And the plural of it is shawahid. When the meaning is supported through another narration, a text of similar meaning, though the wording may not be exactly the same. And actually, the definitions of mutaba'a and shahid, the scholars differ concerning them, uh, and sometimes they're used interchangeably. But in any case, if those who made a distinction between them commonly use mutaba'a to be a different chain that reports the same exact text, while shahid is normally used for a hadith that's reported through a different chain with not exactly the same text but the same meaning. The conditions for a hadith, Hassan Bilaydihi, to be and erased up to Hassan due to other supporting narrations is A, that it be narrated through one or more additional chains, equal in strength or stronger than the original chain. And equal in strength to it, also having a minor defect, or stronger than it. If it's supported in that way, and this is the, one of the conditions. And the second one is that the reason, or the second point is that the reason for the original weakness was one of the following. Yani, 
The weakness should be only a minor weakness such as a narrator who has a poor memory and who is not very strong in his memory. He has a poor memory. That's a defect, but it's not a major defect. If he just ha- he has some weakness in his memory. Or a missing link in the chain. And if there's a break in the chain. In hadiths, for example, munqafiyah. Mursal or muallaq or like this. With a, a break in the chain or a narrator being majhul. And who is unaccredited, an unaccredited narrator whose reliability hasn't been confirmed by any of the scholars. These kind of minor defects, if that is the problem with the hadith, and then it's reported through other chains, one or more other chains of equal strength or stronger, then it can be raised up to Hassan Lirayhi. But it shouldn't have such a weakness, a major weakness, due to, for example, the narrator being of immoral character, fasiq, or being accused of lying, muttaham bil kadib, in his dealings with others, nor fabricating hadith, kadzab no fabricating hadith against the Prophet If a person is classified by the scholars of hadith as kazab, a liar, who fabricated hadith against the Prophet, then this hadith wouldn't be raised up. And no matter what supporting evidence we brought, it wouldn't be considered. And likewise, if he is accused of lying in his dealings with people, but not necessarily accused of lying on the Prophet this is called muttaham bil-kadib. That one also is a very serious weakness, which would not be raised up due to supporting evidences. Uh, the ruling concerning this hadith and the hasan lighayhi is that it may be used as a proof in religious matters. So that means that the sahih lighayhi, sahih lighayhi, hasan lighayhi, and hasan lighayhi, all of them may be used as proofs in the deen, in matters of fiqh as well as in aqidah. Uh, the next category is da'if. And da'if includes many types of hadith. All of those hadith that have defects in them such as the hadith which have breaks in the chain in the beginning, the middle or end, or consecutive breaks, mu'adal, all of these are come under the category of da'if. The mursal, mu'allaq, mu'adal, all of these come under the category of da'if, including the hadith uh, which is reported by one who, is, who does tadlis, mudallas. Likewise, those hadith which are reported through complete chains by those narrators, some of the narrators, one or more of the narrators have some defects such as Yani making many mistakes or serious mistakes or un, yani, uh, serious unmindfulness yani plenty yani often being unmindful in, in, in the sitting in the circles of learning where they are not able to accurately report what they have heard or those who are accused of yani, immorality or innovation um, these uh, criticisms of the reporter of one or more of the reporters in the chain also called for the hadith to be considered as da'if. Da'if linguistically means the opposite of strong, means weak, and technically it's that which does not fulfill the conditions of sahih, of the sahih or the hasan hadith. Yani any hadith which doesn't fulfill the conditions of the sahih hadith or the conditions of hasan hadith, everything after that is considered da'if. Although the da'if are of different levels, but all of that would be considered under da'if. This is due to the absence of one or more of the conditions of Sahih Hassan. If one condition is missing of the conditions of Sahih Hassan, that hadith is considered da'if. And just as there are levels of the Sahih, there are levels of the da'if or weak. The weaker the narrative, the weaker the hadith becomes, ranging from da'if to da'if, jiddan, very da'if, wahi, baseless, munkar, weak and contradicting something more authentic and mawdu'a, fabricated, the worst of the rejected reporters. And these are some of the terminologies used for weak hadith, though there are other terminologies also, such as we mentioned, yani those terminologies which indicate the breaks in the chain. The ruling concerning the weak hadith, there's a difference of opinion amongst the scholars. Some of the great scholars amongst them, the Imam al-Bukhari and Muslim, and Yahya ibn Na'im, and Imam ibn Hazm, rahimahumullah, hold that the weak hadith is rejected outright and not to be acted upon as it is not considered to be knowledge. The weak hadith, according to these scholars, is considered to be, it's not considered to be knowledge. Therefore, we cannot act upon it. It's not something reliable. It's not information that we can accept. Therefore, it should be rejected outright. While there are other scholars who hold another opinion, they said that the weak hadith may be acted upon if certain conditions are met, and then only with regards to encouragement of doing the good and avoiding evil, um, not in matters of the lawful 
and unlawful on matters of aqidah. Should it be used, the weak hadith, according to the second opinion of those scholars who said the weak hadith can be used with conditions, they said it can be used if the conditions are fulfilled, but only in encouraging good and forbidding wrong, not in matters of aqidah, nor in matters of halal or haram. And the conditions that they stated, primarily, those conditions which were mentioned by Al-Hafiz ibn Hajar al-Sakarani, rahimahullah, that its weakness is not severe. And that the weakness in the hadith is a minor weakness. If that's so, then we should also look to see that what is reported in the hadith falls under something general, already established in the Sharia. Yani, there's some point mentioned in that hadith which only has a minor weakness, and that point is already confirmed or established in the Sharia. Due to some verse in the Quran which mentions that action or that matter, or another hadith which is authentic, Sahih Hassan, which mentions that matter. Though this particular week hadith, it may mention something concerning that matter, such as the reward or punishment for doing such an act. The act itself is confirmed in the Sharia, but the reward or punishment for it is not confirmed. In that case, they said, this is also a condition that should be fulfilled for the acceptance or acting upon weak hadith, that what you are acting upon is already established in the Sharia, though the reward for doing that act, if it's something good, or the punishment for doing that act, if it's something evil, may not be confirmed elsewhere in the Sharia. And the third condition for acting upon a weak hadith that is not considered to be something established or having come from the Prophet ﷺ, and no one should consider that that weak hadith, when they are acting upon it, they shouldn't believe in their heart that this is really an established sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, or that it is a confirmed matter that has been confirmed in the Sharia. But they should hold the opinion or the idea that perhaps, perhaps, since the hadith is, is, is weak, we are in doubt. But perhaps it might be true. It might be true what is said in this hadith. Uh, we cannot confirm it, so we don't attribute it to the Prophet ﷺ, but we act upon it with the hope that if it's true, inshallah, we will get this extra reward that's mentioned in it. And if it's not true, still the action itself is already legislated in the Sharia, so there's no harm in doing it. And likewise, an evil act, which some terrible punishment is mentioned, for example, in a weak hadith, the person may refrain from it, fearing that perhaps it may be true that that punishment will be given to the person who does it. And if it's not true, in any case, that particular action is prohibited in the Sharia, so you should avoid it anyway. This is a summary of that which is related to the weak hadith. And the final topic that we discuss is al-hadith al-mawdu'a, the fabricated or falsified hadith. And, the class, and, and, and here, there is a long discussion concerning this fabricated hadith and there are so many points related to it. But just briefly, yani, the summary of what we talked about concerning al-mawdu'a is that mawdu'a linguistically is that which is put down. Wada' to put something down, is named as such due to its lowly status. Status. The fabricated hadith has a low status amongst that which has been reported or attributed to the Prophet ﷺ, the lowest status. And therefore it's called mawdu'a, that which is put down. Technically it is kadhib, a lie, or mukhtalaq, invented, or masnu'a, manufactured or fabricated, which is then attributed to the Prophet ﷺ. Something that has been fabricated or invented or manufactured, a lie that has been made up, has then been attributed or ascribed to the Prophet ﷺ. This is what we refer to when we say al-mawdu'a. It is the most evil and ugliest of the weak hadith, and some scholars consider it to be in a completely separate division, and that it is not one of the types of weak hadith. The hadith is called mawdu'a when one or more of its narrators is known to have lied against the Messenger of Allah And this is one of the reasons why a hadith would be considered as mawdu'a if there is a narrator, at least one narrator in the chain of narrators, who has been described as having lied against the Prophet even one time. If such a narrator or reporter is included in the chain, that hadith would be considered as mawdu'a. And there are other reasons also to consider hadith as mawdu'a, which uh, are hinted at any further on. The ruling concerning the fabricated hadith, some scholars have agreed that it is not permissible to narrate it, except that it is accompanied with clear mention of it being a fabrication. Yani it's not lawful, it's not halal, it's not yajus, it's haram to mention a hadith that one knows has been described by the scholars of hadith as mawdu'a. 
We know that this hadith has been described as mawdu'ah Not lawful to attribute it to the Prophet Except that the person mentions it saying That this is a fabricated hadith This is a lie against the Prophet In order to warn the people against it So that they wouldn't be misled by it And this is due to the hadith reported by Imam Muslim rahimahullah, In the introduction to his book, the Sahih Muslim Or the marriage for me That which he thinks or knows that it may be a lie, and he's one of the two lies. Yani, one who has fabricated it, and the other who passes it on. <clears throat> and the other hadith related to fabrication of hadith, this is just one of them which makes us to know that if a person thinks or imagines that perhaps this is a fabrication, then he doesn't have the right to report it. Once you have doubt about its authenticity, then you should ask the people of knowledge to confirm whether or not it is or not. And if we found that it is fabricated, we should leave it. And if we are in doubt, then we should also leave it. Because the one who is in doubt but thinks that perhaps this and that person may later say that I have actually fabricated these hadith, perhaps for some reason that they thought that to encourage people to do good, so they said, let me fabricate some hadith which mentions a great reward doing certain acts like prayer or fasting or something and their intention is well but it's still lying against the Prophet and it's a serious sin the Prophet said whoever lies against me intentionally let them know that they are guaranteed a seat in the hellfire another way to know the fabricated hadith is that it is that which is equivalent to a confession such as a narrator reporting from a particular scholar and when the narrator is asked about his own date of birth he mentions his date of birth as being after the death of the scholar from who he claims to have reported from. And if he was born after that person died, then he couldn't have reported from him. So this is equivalent. And once he said that, that I was born after he died, and that's like making a confession that he fabricated. And it's equivalent to a confession. Also, there may be a qarina, or an apparent indication in the rawi, al-qarina fil-rawi, or al-qarina fil-marawi. Al-qarina fil-rawi, it means an apparent indication in the narrator himself, such as the narrator was a Rafidi, Shia, whose report concerns the virtues of Ahl Bayt, the family of the Prophet ﷺ, from Ali and Fatima And if a person is from one of the deviant groups, whose deviation is known to us, and they report that which supports their deviation, then this is also an apparent indication of the fabrication of what they have reported. An apparent indication or Karina in the Marawi, or that which is reported in the narration itself, such as the report which is poorly worded, Rafiqat al love, which is unbefitting of the eloquence of the Prophet ﷺ, since his, his speech was the best of speech, the highest form of Arabic language, then any report which comes whose language is poor, poor language, poor expression, then this is also an indication from the narration itself that it's not from the Prophet ﷺ. Then finally we said the reasons for fabrication and the types of people who did it. Just quickly, التقرب uh, Allah, those who are seeking to get near to Allah, thinking that in fabrication of hadith, they will encourage people to do good, or stay away from wrong, and therefore they think they will get a reward. Wrongly so. Also, al-intisar, madhab and to support their madhab or their school of, of thought, and this was especially so after the appearance of the deviant groups, such as the khawarij, mu'tazila, shia, and so on. Uh, likewise, to disgrace or to attack Islam and ta'an in Islam and those who were unable to defeat the Muslims from outside so they tried to fabricate hadith uh, in order to uh, deceive the Muslims and to uh, bring a bad image or false image to Islam. Also, at-tazalluf ila al-hukam and those who seeking to flatter or to earn the favor of the rulers and who will fabricate hadith which were in agreement with the deviations or desires of the rulers in order to earn their favor. Uh, this is also a reason for fabrication of hadith. Likewise, the tafsub wa talab al-rizq, seeking to earn a living or to earn their livelihood, some of the, especially the storytellers, they used to fabricate hadith in order to narrate to the people something that nobody else was narrating. And this would draw the attention and the crowds of the people to come and sit and listen to them. And through this way, they used to earn their money. And finally, the mention of Qasr al-Shuhra, those who were seeking fame or notoriety. This was done by narrating strange hadith which are not reported by any of the other scholars. 
they would change the chain of narratives in order to report through a chain which was unusual to encourage the people to narrate from them since no one else would have reported through this chain. And you know, many of the scholars, they would report a hadith through many chains. The more chains that they reported through, the more scholars that they heard the hadith from, the stronger that hadith was for them. So sometimes even though they heard the hadith from two or three different scholars, they would travel to another land to hear that hadith through another scholar through a different chain. So these people, they would fabricate chains in order for people to come and, and report the hadith from them because nobody else obviously had reported the hadith through that chain since it was fabricated. And this is the summary of what we covered and the terminology that we, we covered from the handouts. Of course, some of the notes in the original book of Sheikh Suhaib should also be looked at by the essence of what is required in terms of the technical definitions uh, and the matters related to those technical terminologies are contained basically in these handouts from what we have covered here. How much time is remaining before the adhan? Tayyip. If there's any comment or question or correction, inshallah, in these next minutes we can take it. Any comments? Any questions from the sisters? If not, then just quickly, let me just uh, look at some yani, point here related to the practical application of Mustalah Hadith. That which is taken from uh, Tamam Al-Manna, which is the commentary or comments of Shaykh Muhammad Nasruddin Al-Bani, Rahimahullah. Uh, concerning the book Fiqh Sunnah, I said Sabiq, in which he mentions in the chapter of fasting the saying of the author Sayyid Sabiq, Rahimahullah, may Allah have mercy on him, he's saying that Ad-Darqutni has reported, and this is related to the topic which we discussed in the last class about the making up of days of Ramadan. Sayyid Sabiq reports in his book Fiqh Sunnah that Imam al-Darqutni rahimahullah reports from Ibn Umar radiallahu anhuma that the Prophet sallallahu said to him in reference to qada Ramadan making up days missing Ramadan in sha'a farraqa wa in sha'a tada'a and if you will you may make them up separately and if you will you may make them consecutively one following the other and this hadith is important because it is perhaps the basis of the opinion of those who said that there is no need to make up the days immediately and, and in general and especially there is no need to make them up consecutively. Hmm, question from this. Hmm. Uh, let, let me just stop here just quickly to answer the question of the sister. Perhaps it's yeah, important uh, related to the topic is a narrator who habitually engages or exaggerates considered the same as the narrator who lies, please explain. Right? The narrator who habitually exaggerates considers the same as the narrator who lies. Any exaggeration is a, is a form of lying. Though it's perhaps you know, not considered as bad, and if somebody exaggerates, it means that they report something different than the way it actually happened. Exaggeration means to add to something, to blow it up or to take it out of proportion, and this is a form of lying. Uh, is it the same as lying? It's not exactly the same as lying, but it depends. If we're talking about in reporting of hadith, obviously if somebody exaggerates the words of the Prophet and they add to it something, then this is considered lying. Any exaggeration in this case would be considered as lying, and it would be equal to lying. Exaggeration in the reporting of hadith is equal to lying. But exaggeration maybe in daily life, and though it's a form of lying, perhaps is not considered equal to lying or as severe as lying, but in the narration of hadith, and Allah knows best, it, it shouldn't be any, there shouldn't be any distinction because anything that's added to the words of the Prophet ﷺ which changes meaning in any way and if the Prophet ﷺ said that the reward uh, for praying in congregation is 25 or 27 times more than the reward for praying alone and somebody says they said that the Prophet ﷺ said the reward for praying in congregation is 35 or 37 times the reward for praying alone this is exaggeration but in fact it's lying and it's not permissible to do so and Allah knows best in any case, this hadith reported by Darqutni uh, from Ibn Umar that if you desire, if you will, you may separate those days and fast them individually or you may, uh, you may perform them or make them up consecutively, one following another. The Shaykh al-Albani uh, says concerning this statement uh, and this report that if it was authentic, then it would have been 
a decisive proof in the argument of whether or not the person can make up the days individually or they have to make them up consecutively if this hadith was sahih however it is not sahih it has been reported by Darqutni by way of Sufyan ibn Bishr with his chain of narrators going back to Abdul ibn Umar and Darqutni said لم يسنده غيره Sufyan ibn Bishr that no one else has reported this hadith Musnadan going back to the Prophet Musnadan with a complete chain going back to the Prophet Marfuan and Tisal al-Sanad other than Sufyan ibn Bishr okay this is what Darqutni said he's the only one through him that this chain came Musnadan the Shaykh then says Rahimahullah and Sufyan ibn Bishr is from amongst the narrators who are majhul he is from the majhulin those who are majhul any who have not been given accreditation and whose reports are questionable we don't know if they are reliable or not because I haven't found the mention of this reporter in any of the books of the biographies of narratives of hadith that I have and perhaps it is for this reason that Imam Al-Bayhaqi rahimahullah in his kitab, his book Sunan, Sunan Al-Bayhaqi, Sunan Al-Kubra perhaps it is Al-Kubra um, or it could be the smaller one he didn't say he just said Al-Sunan so we assume that it's the major one that Al-Bayhaqi clearly stated that the isnad of this hadith is da'if it is perhaps for this reason that it only came Muslim through Sufyan ibn Bishr and he is majhul Al-Bayhaqi said clearly that the isnad of this hadith is da'if and also it has been hinted at that it was da'if by Al-Hafiz ibn Hajar Asqalani in his book Al-Talkhis Al-Habir where he said after mentioning this hadith and attributed to Ad-Darqudni he said Qala warawahu Atah that it has also been reported from Atah from Ubaid ibn Umair Mursalan and not only Musnadan but it has also been reported Mursalan from Atah from Ubaid ibn Umair so Mursalan means that there is a break at the end of the chain after the Tabi'i and here Al-Hafiq says wa isnaduhu da'ifun aydan yani that this Mursal one is also da'if which is a suggestion that he's saying that the Musnad one is also da'if and he said this one has been reported also Mursal and it's also da'if meaning that in addition to something else that's da'if meaning the one that's Musnad so here Al-Hafiq ibn Haji also hinted that the Musnad was da'if when he mentioned this Mursal one and said that it's also da'if as for the saying of Ash-Shawkani rahimahullah that this hadith has been authenticated by Ibn Jawzi rahimahullah who said مَا عَلِمْنَا أَحَدًا طَعْنَا فِي سُفْيَانِ ibn Bishr that we don't know anyone who has made any disparaging remarks against Sufyan ibn Bishr and Ibn Jawzi said we don't know anyone who made disparaging remarks against him uh, which really is the madhab of Ibn Hibban that as long as nobody said anything bad against an narrator even if he's majhul he used to accept him and say and, and write him in his book of Thiqat and amongst those who are acceptable reporters which is not the correct position of the majority of scholars and it's not sufficient just that nobody said anything against him but there has to be someone who has actually confirmed his reliability and this narrator is majhul so the fact that nobody said anything bad against him is not enough to accept his hadith and this is a, a discussion that Shaykh al-Bani mentions here uh, related to this point the narrators who are majhul is it sufficient that no one has said anything disparaging against them or is it required that one of the scholars of hadith has actually confirmed their reliability and here he says that such a saying as this is not sufficient because this can be said about any narrator who is majhul that so many of them nobody said anything bad against them but because they are majhul they haven't been accredited then we don't accept their reports and he said we could say and in opposition to that that we don't know anyone who has confirmed him just like you said you don't know anyone who said anything bad against him well we don't know anyone who said anything good about him so there's no benefit in this in such a statement and this statement that we don't know anyone who has confirmed him is closer to the rules of hadith because in the rules of hadith we said that in order for a narrative to be accepted he has to be confirmed by somebody he has to be confirmed by somebody uh, this is the condition for the acceptability of a narrator that his reliability has been testified by one of the scholars of hadith as for his weakness it is sufficient that no one has confirmed him it's sufficient for us to consider him as weak if no one has confirmed him or his reliability is not known even if it's only one narrator in the chain who has not been confirmed that's enough for the hadith 
to be rejected, and this is what is well known, and we discussed on more than one occasion. Then he says, Shaykh al-Bani rahimahullah says, how can this hadith be considered as sahih when it has been declared da'if by one of the great imams of hadith and one of those who was a specialist in criticizing hadith, that is, al-imam al-Bayhaqi, who after narrating in his sunan, he said that the isnad is da'if, clearly. As well as al-Hafid ibn Hajar, who hinted that it was da'if when he mentioned the mursal narration, and he says, and this one is da'if also. Meaning that both the musnad and the mursal, both of them are da'if. Not only that, but it has been opposed by a narration which is stronger than it. Even if the one that is stronger than it, and this, these are my words now, even if the one that is stronger than it is not sahih, but is stronger than this one, and it is in contradiction to it, and that is the hadith of Abu Huraira, radiallahu anhu, that the Prophet said, لا سوم بعد نصف من شعبان حتى رمضان. That there is no fasting after the middle of Sha'ban until Ramadan. ومن كان عليه سوم من رمضان فل يصرده ولا يقطعه. And whoever has some obligation to make up days of fasting from Ramadan, then he should make them consecutively, and he shouldn't make them separately. But again, I said that this hadith is stronger, even though it is not sahih. There's a difference of opinion amongst the scholars about it, but the correct opinion is that it's really not sahih. This hadith is also reported by Darqutni, rahimahullah, and it was reported from Darqutni by Al-Bayhaqi, by way of Habban ibn Halal, who reported from Abdurrahman ibn Ibrahim al-Qadi, and this is the narrator that is important here, Abdurrahman ibn Ibrahim al-Qadi, who in the isnad of the hadith, it is mentioned that he was thiqah, he is a reliable narrator, who reported from Allah ibn Abdurrahman, from his father, from Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu. Al-Darqutni said, after narrating this hadith, Abdurrahman ibn Ibrahim is da'if al-hadith. He is da'if al-hadith. So Al-Darqutni considered this hadith to be weak. However, Shaykh al-Albani says, the fact of the matter is that he is mukhtarfi. That he's a narrator, which we discussed in the introduction. That sometimes the scholars differ about a narrator. Some of them confirmed him and some of them rejected him. In that case, there are rules. There are rules that have to be considered uh, so that we may determine whether we should accept this particular hadith from him or not. So here, Shaykh al-Bani says that the fact of the matter is he's mukhtalif. قَدْ وَثِّقْ فِي إِسْنَادِ الدَّرْكُتْنِي كَمَا تَرَى يعني that he, is also been, he has been actually in the isnad that Darkutni mentioned. The narrator who narrated from him said that he was thiqa. Mentioned his name and said that he was so this is one confirmation for him and he has also been confirmed by great scholars such as Yahya ibn Ma'in and Imam al-Bukhari and others besides them and for this reason Ibn Qattan said that he is mukhtalif fihi therefore the hadith which has been narrated from him is hasan we shouldn't reject it outright because many of the great scholars confirmed him as a reliable narrator but because there are some who consider him as weak then his, the grade of his hadith is reduced to Hassan. And this has also been mentioned as reported by Al-Hafiz ibn Hajar al-Asqalani. In another place from Ibn Qattan, he said that Ibn Qattan rahimahullah said, وَلَمْ يَأْتِي مَنْ دَعَفَهُ بِحُجَّةٍ وَالْحَدِيثِ حَسَنٍ And he also said that he was da'if, didn't bring a clear proof as to why he was da'if. And this is also one of the considerations in terms of conflicting um, evaluations of a narrator. If somebody said that he was weak, then we can accept it if he was one of the scholars of hadith and specialists in this field. But if somebody said he was weak and another one who was also a specialist said that he was acceptable, in that case, the one who said he was weak would not be accepted unless he brings a clear proof of why he's weak. And here, Ibn Qattan said those who said he was da'if didn't bring any clear indication of his weakness. Therefore, those who confirmed him, their evaluation is given precedence over those who said that he was weak without giving a clear indication of what was his weakness. After this, Al-Hafiz says, responding to the uh, statement of Ibn Qasan that his hadith is Hassan, Al-Hafiz says that it has been clearly mentioned by Ibn Abi Hatim from his father, Abu Hatim al-Razi, that he rejected this hadith, this particular hadith from Abdurrahman ibn Ibrahim, yani that it was rejected by Abu Hatim. And Abu Hatim is also a special hadith. So here you see that some of the great scholars have accepted him and some of them have rejected him. For this reason, Shaykh al-Bani says that the summary of this hadith is that, uh, or this matter, is لا يصحو في هذا الباب شيء لا سلبا ولا إجابا That there is nothing authentic, there is no authentic hadith. Authentic hadith that really we can rely upon, saying that, the, that those misdays in Ramadan have to be made up consecutively, nor the opposite, that they don't have to be made up consecutively. There is no authentic hadith, and for this reason, Shaykh al-Bani says, 
والأمر القرآني بالمسارعة يقتدي وجوب المتابعة إلا لأذر Therefore the command in the Quran to hasten to the doing of good deeds وسارعوا إلى مغفرة من ربكم Then this, يعني from this we understand that it is a command to hasten to doing of good deeds and of those good deeds is the obligation that Allah has placed upon us Whoever missed days in Ramadan then as soon as they are able they should hasten to make them up unless they have an other a legal excuse and this is the madhab of Imam Ibn Hazm who said فَإِن لَمْ يَفْعَلْ فَيَقْضِيهَا مُتَفَرِّقًا yani if the person they should hasten to make it up but if they didn't then they may make them up separately and that and it will be accepted due to the saying of Allah فَعِدَّةٌ مِنْ أَيَامٍ أُخْرٍ that is in the ayah of the Quran وَمَنْ كَانَ مَرِيدًا أَوْ عَلَى سَفْرٍ and whoever is sick or traveling then they should make up those days from days other days and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this ayah didn't specify those other days when they have to be uh, therefore yeah, and he's saying that whoever makes them outside of those days it would not be accepted this is the also the madhab of Imam Abu Hanifa rahimahullah that since Allah didn't clearly state when they have to be done then the correct opinion is you should hasten to do them but nobody can say that they have to be done yani, exactly consecutively uh, this issue yani, there's difference of opinion about it but the, the important thing here is we wanted to benefit from the discussion related to Mustalah Hadith what has been said here concerning that so the summary of the issue is that there's no clear proof that they may be made up separately no any clear proof that they have to be made up consecutively that they have to be but the stronger opinion is that the Muslim is encouraged to hasten to make up those days unless they have a legitimate excuse uh, to delay it without a legitimate excuse then it is an obligation upon us it is a debt that we owe to Allah and they should be made up as soon as the person is able to do so without delay nobody knows when sickness will overcome them or death and then they would die or become sick and unable to make up those days and they would answer to Allah for that which they had the ability to do but they delayed in doing it they were lax in doing so and therefore they were unable to fulfill the debt that is upon them subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika ashhadu an la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk